Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, the writer of this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Aristus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings is made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The letter to the Romans is Paul's greatest work. It is a masterly treatment of every aspect of the Christian life. We have been looking together at the origins, at the growth and difficulties, at the struggles and progress of the Christian life in its relation to God, to the believer, and to others. What a treatise about our life in Christ. What a glorious book God has given us here. Luther said that the Apostle Paul in this wonderful epistle treats in a masterly way every aspect of Christian living and how right Luther was. Now Paul is finished dictating the letter to Tertius, and he says, Tertius, read it back to me. Let's see how it sounds. And he does. But here were the words with which it closed. And our brother Quartus greet you. Would you want your letter to quit there. So Paul takes the pen in his hand and with large letters, perhaps it was hard for him to see clearly or maybe that was his trademark for showing the authentic authenticity of the letter, he writes the summary sentence. And what a magnificent conclusion it is. Verses 25 through 27. The great him of the Apostle Paul to the glory of God. And what he does here is to gather up all of the themes about the Christian life that have come in Romans, and he weaves them together into a song to the glory of God, showing us that the Christian life has its beginning and ending in God's glory. In fact, if we wanted to try to summarize this, we couldn't do it very well in words. You need music, you need poetry to say some things. And do you hear the artistry of, the, of these words? What he's really saying is that the Christian life is a kind of doxology. That when a Christian lives this life properly, it's a sort of a musical expression to the glory of God. That's what the Christian life in Paul's estimation, under the leadership of the Spirit, is meant to be not a dull and dreary thing, not a burdensome thing at all, 
but a hymn to the glory of God. Now let's just look a little bit into that doxology and see if we can take some of these elements home with us. Just two elements here. One is that Christian living is to be a hymn to the power of God. He says, now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying there is that I, Paul, cannot establish you. I might like to. And you might be looking, expecting that when I come to see you, I will establish you in your faith. Neither I, Paul, nor any other minister, nor the church itself can establish you in strong Christian living. And so he says, look, friends, turn your eyes now from me, Paul. Turn them to God. He is the author of the establishment of your Christian living. Look to him. It's what he told the Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. They had been looking to him. And he says, work out your own salvation. It is God who works in you. How does God establish you in your Christian living? It's an important point. Only he can do it. It requires his power. To establish one in Christian living is something like what we now call discipling another person, building them up, working with them. And what God does in the believer's heart is to give him a firm and consistent inner life. So consistent does the believer become that he is able to stand against all attacks, whether from within or without, and he is not defeated. To establish the Christian, God works in him the new principles of the Christian life with vigor so that the believer is intelligent and wise and holy and active and useful. An established Christian is one who is happy and helpful and holy. One in whom the appetites and inspirations of the Holy Spirit are surging within him. There's communion, there's love, there's joy, there's fellowship in him or in her. The establishing of the Christian life is the work of God. It's done within the soul. No human being can do it. Now, we can use the means. Each of us is to try to strengthen our own Christian life. And in, in addition, we are try, try to strengthen and establish the Christian lives of others. But we cannot ensure success. We use the means. It is God who does the establishing. It is God who firms up and encourages and establishes the inner life of the believer. Now, the reason only God can do it is that the difficulties are so great. For one thing, it is our natural disposition to fall away from Christ. Now, remember that. 
left to yourself, you will fall from Christ. That is our natural inborn sinful tendency to cool in our hearts and to die spiritually. Therefore, God works against that in us. In addition, those enemies of our spiritual life are most industrious. They are working overtime to bring about the destruction of your soul. Satan walks about seeking which ones of you he may devour. Even now he has designs on the destruction of some of you, and he's plotting and scheming for that. You must be established by God against that. Add to that the shaky, troublesome, pressure times in which we live with the bombardment of stimuli and suggestiveness and all of the things that come from the culture to divorce the believer from his moorings. Do you see, only God can resist this kind of opposition. That's why Paul keeps saying to these Roman Christians, look, I've taught you about the Christian life. I've tried to unfold its origins, its foundations, its disciplines. I've tried to show you what is precious to it and what is its outcome. But in the last analysis, it is God who will establish you. Look to him, turn your eyes to him, and be strengthened by him. Now, God doesn't do this by mysteriously pumping into us some kind of strengthening fluid, some infusion of divine and mystical power. It's nothing strange. He has a set way of establishing believers in the faith. And it's here, according to my gospel. That is, God uses the gospel of Christ as the means of strengthening believers. Here's what I mean. The farther you get into the gospel, the deeper hold you get upon it, the stronger you become in your spirit. In Advent of 1980, you may remember three women in Fort Lauderdale watched their husbands fall to their deaths from a hot air balloon accident. In their own sight, their beloved died. And those women, even there at the scene, witnessed to God's faithfulness and to the gift of eternal life. And they went around the country ever since, giving testimony and praise to God for his faithfulness. How could those women be so strong? The reason is that they had been deeply involved in the evangelism explosion program of their local church. And they had so mastered the inner content and structure of the gospel. They had gone into it so fully and penetratingly that they were able to share it with others. But what they did not know was happening was that they were being established in the faith. And by their investigation and penetration into the gospel, they were preparing themselves against the day of adversity which came. God's faithfulness. You see, we get too fancy. We want to go elaborately beyond the gospel. 
And Paul says, God's going to establish you according to my gospel. That is, what has Christ done for you? Where is he now? And what are his will and his plans for you? It's all rooted there in the gospel message. All we need is within it. And the other tool that God uses is the preaching of Jesus Christ. And Paul here means that the way to be established is by centering all our preaching and teaching and doctrines and tenets of our faith in Christ himself. Christ is the great subject of the Christian life. And it is easy for us to get far afield from him and to begin to move away from his great and glorious truths. But God establishes us by keeping us with our eyes upon Christ. And I want to warn, especially the young people who are here tonight, that it is so very important for you as you go off to college and as you begin to learn more and more and as your Christian life expands and begins to develop, I want to say to you, remember Jesus Christ. Keep him at the heart of your thinking. Let all your learning and knowledge be integrated in him, and you will be established as a Christian. But it is when believers move away from Christ and begin to work at peripheral issues and think about side doctrines and get caught up in other causes which are tangential to the body of the doctrines of Jesus Christ, that they are then weakened in faith and lose their hold and become fragile and vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. Now you see what the apostle is doing here, saying that the Christian life is a hymn to the power of God. Only he can establish us. He knows how to do it. He has definite ways of doing it. And therefore, there ought to arise from every Christian a great sense of praise for God's power. If you read the New Testament, you find this throughout. There we read words like this from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling to the only wise God. When the Christian praises God for his keeping power in the Christian life, that Christian is more and more established. He is more and more comforted because whatever difficulties or doubtings or fears may come, the Christian knows that he is not going to renounce Christ. He is being established by the power of God. It is very dangerous to be a weak Christian. If tonight you are a weak Christian with only the most tenuous hold on Christ, you are in a perilous position. You are in great danger if you're a weak Christian. And you are useless. You must be strengthened. God wants to strengthen you. He wants to make you a powerful Christian so that you can be a tool in his hand so that you can be confident that you will not falter in the place of service. He wants to make you strong. That's why all through Scripture are these kinds of words, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Don't be content to be a powerless Christian, a timid Christian, a weak Christian, a sporadic Christian, an occasional Christian. Now to him who is able to establish you, that is, to strengthen and make you steadfast. You see, God gives us also a great hymn to the wisdom of God here. Not only to his power, but at the end it says, to the only wise God be glory forever and ever. Your Christian life is a portrait of the wisdom of God. Do you realize how much wisdom it takes to make you a Christian and keep you there? He's got to take your will, which wanted evil and wanted self-satisfaction, and make it want his will. He has to take your memory, which can recall ugly things and make it capable of remembering Scripture. He has to take your conscience that was seared and make it sensitized and eager to do the will of God. He has to take your emotions that loved self and praise and lust and make them go after him. It's the most amazing feat of the wisdom of God that a soul is brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. You thought it take wisdom to create the world? You thought it required wisdom to put the stars in their places? It takes far more wisdom to bring one soul out of the grip of Satan and make them a new creature. So your Christian life, you see, is a great picture of the wisdom of God. And here it is unfolded with this word mystery. A mystery in the Bible is not a secret, but it's something that God discloses little by little, and which if he did not disclose, we wouldn't know it. It's a mystery. It's something God has to reveal to us. And the inner workings of this Christian life are mysteries. The prophets in the Old Testament wrote about the Christian life. They didn't quite realize in every case what they were saying, but they wrote about it, what the gospel age would be like, in such a way that afterwards we could look back and find in the Old Testament the pictures of the Christian life. So that none of us would ever think that the Christian life is a new invention, a sudden idea of God. You see, if people think of something surprising or unexpected, they think it wasn't planned and had no purpose and no background. And so God doesn't want us to think that our Christian life is a little invention of ours, a human philosophy, something that came lately. He wants us to know it is embedded in the Word of God and goes all the way back through the prophets. And so he says, which was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings is made known to the nations. So that when Christ appeared, he exemplified Christian living. He was the great pattern, of course, and the example of it. And when Christ came, the full-blown doctrine of the Christian life was promulgated by the apostles. Then, 
did the prophecies become clear. First comes the demonstration of the Christian life in Christ and the apostles. Then we can explain the prophets and what they said. Let me illustrate. Much of the book of Exodus is taken up with the pilgrimage of God's people from Egypt to the promised land. Did you know that that pilgrimage is a picture of Christian living with all its difficulties and problems and successes and temptations? But at the time, Moses and his people didn't know that, and when they wrote it, they didn't realize. But, says the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, the, the rock that followed them was Christ, and these things are written for our instruction so that we now, looking back at the Old Testament, find the Christian life dramatized. Or take the great saying of Isaiah, there shall be a highway of holiness, and the believers shall walk therein, and those that walk in it shall not err. The highway of holiness is another name for the Christian life. How wise God was to lay the foundation and to make the entrance to the Christian life universal so that it belongs to all nations. Never restrict your concept of Christian living to people like yourself. The way of Christ is for all men and women of every color and nation. Let this church ever bring the gospel to all the world that every sort of person may know the thrill of Christian living. It is made known according to the wise command of God. The command, of course, referred to is the word of the Lord Jesus. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God has commanded that this Christian life, which was disclosed little by little, and which was finally exemplified in our Savior, should now be shouted from the housetops. The command is gone out that all men everywhere may repent and may follow the new life which Christ offers to us. And how wise is the requirement for the Christian life? It's not that we be intelligent. Some of us would be left out, wouldn't we? It's not that we be beautiful. Many of us would be left out. The requirement is the obedience of faith. And the obedience of faith is simple. God has commanded everyone to believe. The obedience of faith is simply the truthful acceptance of the terms of the gospel. Whoever accepts the gospel as it is and submits himself to it has performed the obedience of faith. Because, you see, God has commanded believe. And when we believe, we are obeying God. And if tonight you disbelieve, if you are doubting and resisting the gospel, you're disobeying God. And you're under the censure of his wrath for your disobedience. The gospel did not come to be disputed about it did not come to be discussed or analyzed. The gospel is in this world to be obeyed. And being obeyed, it issues.
issues in the glory of Christian living. Now, friends, the Christian life is the hymn to the power of God and the portrait of the wisdom of God. But the world around us, you see, they think that God is powerless, and they think the wisdom of God is folly. They think the kingdom of God is to be despised and disbelieved. And the reason they hold God's power to be weakness and his wisdom to be folly is that they have not seen strong expressions of Christian living. They have not seen the book of Romans incarnated in a congregation, in a people. And so they say God is foolish, God is weak. But if once they saw in you a doxology, a song of praise because of God's power, a portrait of God's wisdom lived out in you, they change their tune quick. They begin to realize who God is and what he is. And so the purpose, the culmination of the Christian life is the glory of God. That's what it's all about, that our lives would give such glory that men would see him and glorify him with us. So I want to charge you in your Christian living at the close of the book of Romans and at the close of this ministry. May I charge you with all that is within me to live this Christian life as it is supposed to be lived, according to the book. Live it in such a way that you're living not somehow, but triumphantly, that your life is a doxology, that it results in the glory of God. Never fail to recall these closing words of the book of Romans so that you can always remember that God is wise and powerful and that nothing is as important that you be strong and steadfast in your faith. This book is calling you to the necessity of your strength and your steadfastness in the Lord. Hold on to those. Remember all your days these two things. God's wisdom and his power in every emergency, in every pressing problem, in every difficulty that surrounds you. Hold on to these. God is able to establish me. He is powerful enough. He is wise enough to make me stand. I do not need to fall. Every day, every hour, every moment, I charge you to remember that the supreme thing in the Christian life is that God be all in all. That the Christian life issue not in your success or in your, in your glory, but that the Christian life result in a 
great volume of glory being given to Almighty God, who is the author, the designer, the sustainer, and the establisher of you in your Christian life. God bless you in it. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we bless Thee for this book of Romans. How fruitful it has been to stimulate and teach, to ground us in thy thoughts and in the truths of thy kingdom. We thank thee for its instruction on the Christian life. And we pray, Lord, that these lives of ours may be established, that they may ring with thy glory, that they may be hymns to thy power and portraits of thy wisdom, that the world may believe that thou art full of power, that the world may see and trust thy wisdom and be filled with joy and worship thee. So, Lord, we ask to be established, to be made firm and consistent, to have the principles of the new life vigorous in us, to be holy, happy, and helpful in the things of Christ. So be it.